at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus offers to all who come to him a personal knowledge of God the Father. In all religion or ideology or philosophy of man, there is nothing like it. This knowledge is relational. Jesus prays, I thank you, Father. This knowledge comes through Jesus. Come to me, learn from me. This knowledge comes as a gift. I will give you rest. And the knowledge is of God, the creator, the supreme Lord and sovereign of all eternity. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. I've called this brief mini-series The School of Christ. And the section in which these very famous verses find themselves is all about the advance of Jesus' kingdom. For those of us who are regulars here on a Tuesday, we've seen the evidence for Jesus' kingdom. Wisdom is proved right by her children. Jesus has shown the works of the Christ. The blind receive sight, the deaf hear, the lame leap, the dead are raised. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. And we've seen that Jesus' kingdom advanced amidst opposition. Some are scandalized by Jesus, offended by him. And the opponents of Jesus bring childish excuses. They refuse to weigh the evidence, no matter how much is given. They're too busy, too young, too old, too preoccupied, too frightened, too this, too that. And so Jesus' kingdom comes hand in hand with judgment from God. Woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. You've had such opportunity. You've turned it down. The title of the School of Christ is stolen. This is pure plagiarism on my part. My predecessor, Dick Lucas, ran a series called The School of Christ, and he took the title from those three words, learn from me, in verse 28. And last week, in the School of Christ, we looked at the students. So verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. So God deliberately discriminates against those who are wise in their own eyes. You might say those who refuse to come to school are not included. Those who come but are unwilling to learn go away without what he has to offer. 
And I think we felt last week, what a relief. Imagine if the verse read the other way around. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've revealed yourself to the wise and learned in their own eyes. How would it be in heaven if it was those who are wise in their own eyes and the learned in their own eyes who came to relationship with God? Well, I worked out God when I was in my second year as an undergraduate, one would be saying, Heaven would be hell, like the city in many senses. We noted also that the DNI, diversity inclusion policy of God, like any other DNI policy, is discriminatory. But God's deliberate discrimination is against those who are proud, those who are wise in their own eyes. And that makes his school and the benefits of relationship with him available to absolutely anybody. It's gloriously diverse. The only qualification is humility, a readiness to learn, teachability, an eagerness to receive. And so the man with no qualifications, prepared to learn, come. The child in preschool, ready to receive, come. The woman with a PhD in molecular physics, ready to be taught, come. But some will be too arrogant to learn, unteachable. They won't want to enroll. They'll play truant, you might say. Why is it that the nations of Western Europe are so close to the Christian gospel? Is it that there comes a point in a nation's development when they're just too developed and too well educated to need Christ? No, that's not it at all. Arrogance. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from those who are wise and learned in their own eyes. Well, now this week we move from the students to the teacher, and there are four claims in verse 27, a claim to absolute all knowledge, a claim to privileged authority, A claim that is unique to the only source of authentic knowledge and a claim to selective distribution of that knowledge to those who will receive it. The absolute claim. All things have been handed over to me by my father. We're not talking about algebra or arithmetic, modern languages or triple science, although all of those things are well within the grasp of the Lord Jesus. Nor is this particularly to do with the all authority in heaven on earth, which Jesus is given by God the Father following his resurrection. No, the all things in verse 27 are the these things of verse 25, and we're speaking clearly about the knowledge of God the Father. And you can see that from the language of knowing and revealing. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. So this is practical and experimental, relational, personal knowledge of God, the Lord and sovereign creator of all eternity. We're speaking about seeing who God is, about grasping what God is about, about knowing the person of God, understanding his character, entering into relationship with God, having an intimate walk with God, 
the sovereign Lord, supreme eternal power over all of this creation and the next. Jesus goes on to speak about the most intimate, intense relationship there is, the Father and the Son. And he is offering entry into that inner circle to any of us who are prepared to learn. And all things means everything. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. When it comes to the knowledge of God, Jesus cannot be surpassed. He's been given it all. And when it comes to the knowledge of God, Jesus is sufficient. No addition is required. Everything God has to divulge concerning knowledge of him has been entrusted to Jesus. And there is no truth that God has to reveal outside of Jesus. Jesus can never be superseded. It is a quite wonderful thought to ponder the idea that you and I can know God. I mentioned last week uh, Jim Packer's famous magnificent book written in the middle of the 20th century. It is a kind of must-have, and if you have it, it's a (laughs) must-read. Sorry to put it like that, but so many people have it on their bookshelf, and they've never actually got around to reading it. So put it on your Christmas list, and if you've got it, put it on the list of things to do over Christmas to read it. The book begins, and you only need to get to page one uh, to get hold of this, with a quotation from one of the most famous preachers, Um, of his century, the 19th century, um, uh, uh, Spurgeon. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. While the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the one who simply plods around this narrow globe. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the soul of a person as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the divinity. There is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound, in musing on the Father a consolation for every grief, and in the influence of the Holy Spirit an ointment for every sore. And Jesus is saying, look, all knowledge of God, it's to be found in me. So we have to ask, how can he claim such a thing? And the next two points help us to see it as we explore the position of the son and his qualification. The position. No one knows the son, uh, sorry, no one knows the son except the father And no one knows the Father except the Son. Well, this is a privileged claim to authoritative knowledge. There are two no-one statements here, and they explore the two sides of the relationship, both the position of the Son and his qualification. One of the great features of studying the gospel is to look out for the negatives. They provide clarity and specificity. 
I mean, I know a lot of you stick stuff in your small print, which spells out the negatives. Well, there's no small print. Jesus puts it in bold so we can be absolutely clear. No one knows the Son except the Father. Now, I think this suggests that the Son, Jesus, stands unique from us. He sits above us. We can never fathom the depths of Jesus. We only ever paddle in the shallows. He is in a supreme relationship with the Father. He and he alone is truly known unto God. We can't confine him or define him. We can't label him. We can know stuff about Jesus, but really it's only the Father who truly knows Jesus. Some call him superstar, others social worker, but he's genuinely only known to God Enthroned in eternity alongside the Father, he has a position of unparalleled worth. And at his baptism, God the Father says of God the Son, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And at the transfiguration, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I spent a lot of time chewing on this little statement. No one knows the Son except the Father. What exactly does it mean? I think it suggests anyway that we'll never truly understand the Lord Jesus unless we have some sort of understanding from the Old Testament where God explains his Son to us. Only God's word makes sense of this world and only God's word makes sense of God's Son. How did Jesus explain to the Baptist who he was? Oh, he used the categories of revelation in the Old Testament. Uh, When Jesus condemns the Jews for failing to recognize him for who he is, what terms does he use? He uses the categories of God's word in the Old Testament. That's why we have to be learners. We're not going to know the Son unless we come to the Father. We're not going to know the Father unless we come to the Son. This is an intimate eternal relationship way beyond our comprehension and only available to us if we're prepared to come and learn. So it is a privileged claim by Jesus to authoritative knowledge. No one knows the Son except the Father. The Son is adored by the Father. The Son is admired by the Father. The Son is enthroned with the Father. The Son is esteemed by the Father. The Son is loved by the Father. It's an extraordinary, intimate, open relationship. But there's also an exclusive claim to be the only source of knowledge. So we have the position of the Son, but then we have his qualification. No one knows the Father except the Son. And so here we have the other side of the coin with the second negative. Jesus, as the Father, he alone knows, uh, Jesus is known only by the Father, but Jesus alone knows the Father. And the intimate, eternal relationship is perfectly poised in beautiful balance. For all eternity, they have dwelt in pure union. So this knowledge of God that we're talking about, it doesn't come to us by instinct or intuition. It's not ours by scholarly investigation or exploration. 
It's a closed book to us unless we come to the sun. We'll only be able to grasp who the sun is as we come to the father. Never trust a person who says, I like to think of God as. When somebody says that to me, I always ask the question, what qualification might you have for your view? A person can spend an entire lifetime investigating, but unless they come to the sun, they'll remain ignorant. And Jesus in John's gospel repeats this over and over again to Nicodemus. He says, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we've seen. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. He's speaking about himself. And to the crowds, he says, I have come down from heaven. To his hostile opponents, he says, I know him for I come from him and he sent me. I am from above. I'm not from this world. And to his disciples, he says, I came from the Father and have come into this world. This is a privileged claim to authoritative knowledge, but it is also an exclusive claim to the only authoritative knowledge, genuine knowledge of God the Father. And Jesus' knowledge is absolute, unsurpassed, sufficient, complete. We won't find this knowledge in Islam or in Hinduism or in any human philosophy or ideology. The prophet Muhammad does not have it, nor Gautama the Buddha, Plato, Aristotle, they don't have it, nor do Hume, Kant, Schleiermacher, Marx or Engels. They're all blind to it. None of these have seen the Father. None of them is known by the Father. None of them have come down from the Father. Without this knowledge, we remain like the sub-aquatic sea slug, Slithering along in the sludge, ignorant of what lies above, in the dark. We may have made a nice home for ourselves down there. We may have any number of occupations and qualifications, possessions and distractions. But we're entirely ignorant of God. An experiment. Hands up anyone who has had a full revelation of the creator God whilst fully cognizant, aware in your right mind. Well, I know we're in the city. Nobody dare put their hand up anyway, so it's a pretty safe bet. If you did put your hand up, we'd cart you off. The men in white coats would come along to take you away. None of us has actually seen God. And so blind man's bluff, you know that game, you know, children staggering around in the dark trying to find the person who's uh, dancing away from them. We're, we're like that, in the dark. And our best guess of God is at best a best guess and at worst, well, something much more damaging Speculation about God, it does a huge amount of harm. But finally, right at the end here, we have this fourth statement. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We need to handle these last ten words with great care. He decides. It's his prerogative. 
He alone holds the keys. We have to come to him. Of course, how could it be any other way? The moment we start to say, well, I like to think, well, then we become wise in our own eyes. We're no longer little children. I know we don't like this. We think we can know God. It's not that God is not totally transparent. He has made himself known totally transparently in the person of Jesus Christ on his terms. He's God. We have to come to him. And surely we need to accept our limitations. There are any number of things we can't do. You can't jump, jump from the top of Tower 22 and hope to survive unaided. We can't have whatever we want. We can't go where we want. We can't meet and befriend whomever we want. We can't live for as long as we want. How one of the greatest deceptions of our age is that somehow we're free to do anything. Listen to the latest St. Kitts and St. Nevin's, Nevis's freedom advert if you're on the aeroplane. The freedom to go, the freedom to stay, the freedom to say no, the freedom to say yes, freedom for you, freedom for them, the freedom to do anything. And it's absurd. We simply are not free. And we're certainly not free when it comes to knowing God. But we shouldn't be clumsy with verse 27. It would be possible to take verse 27 and explore the truths of divine election without paying attention to verse 25 to 27 and 28 to 30, where we see human responsibility and Jesus' invitation. Yes, God chooses, but there is responsibility. And the invitation remains open to absolutely everybody. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Matthew, our teacher, the great theologian, is quite happy to have those three things side by side without any fear of it being inappropriate. Conclusion. When it comes to the knowledge of God, one, there is only one teacher. Uh, there are under-teachers, classroom assistants like myself. My job is simply to pass on Jesus' teaching. And all teaching that comes in the name of Christ needs to be held against this bar, the teaching of Jesus. The person who says, oh, the Spirit said to me, we hold it against the bar. The person who says, oh, the church says today, we hold it against this bar. He is the teacher. We should weigh everything against his gold standard. Two, what a teacher he is. We have spent 22 minutes and five seconds on this one verse. We could spend the whole of the rest of the afternoon exploring it. There are such riches here. And yet a five-year-old can understand it. Supreme intelligence. Divine wisdom. Yesterday, I looked at this one verse with a group of bankers, and towards the end of our time, one of them said, I have done more thinking in this one hour than the whole of the rest of the week. I shan't tell you which bank he works for, <laughs> but we really could spend the rest of the week thinking about this. All things have been handed over to me by my father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. All power over everything that concerns our soul's interests is placed in the hands of Jesus. Jesus bears the keys. He is the door, the shepherd, the physician. Jesus is the bread to feed us, the lamp to lead us, the foundation to wash us, the fountain to wash us, the teacher to instruct us. Come to me. But there is one thing that will prevent us. I praise you, Father, that you've hidden these things from those who are wise and understanding in their own eyes. And if one is too proud to learn from Jesus, then his kingdom will advance with or without. Let's pray together. Forgive us, Father, we pray for our small views of Jesus, the one whom you adore. Please fill us with a great, greater understanding, grasp of Jesus, that we might come to see him the way you see him. And please give each one of us the humility to be deep learners from him. And we ask it in his name. Amen.